There's an image that frequently comes to me in the midst of my personal prayer, and it's kind of embarrassing, but I'll just tell you about it anyway. So it's an image from a movie, and it's one that you've probably heard of. It's called Aladdin, and I saw it probably the first time when I was in grade school. And there's just this one scene, you know, when Aladdin, dressed up as Prince Ali Ababwa, um, is on the magic carpet, right? And he comes to Princess Jasmine and sticks out his hand to her, you know, to take her um, on the magic carpet ride. I'm not going to quote the band Steppenwolf, but he like sticks out his hand and, you know, and he says to her, do you trust me? And she kind of hesitates. He says it again, do you trust me? And she says, yes. And, you know, and then she gets on and they sing a whole new world and fly all over the place. And it's wonderful. Now try to get that song out of your head. It's going to be there for like three weeks. But anyway, it's like that, that whole time, like very frequently when I'm in prayer, it happens all the time that there's something coming, some difficulty, something that's very much requiring of trust. And it's just that pops into my head all the time. Now, as a grown man and a Catholic priest, it should probably be something else. But that's there very frequently. And I think today we get something a little bit deeper calling us into deeper trust in Christ. And of course, we get this beautiful gospel on the second Sunday of Easter every single year, regardless of the liturgical year. And we know it so well. And I will say that I, I don't like the title that poor Thomas gets. I mean, we always say it's like, oh, it's the gospel of doubting Thomas. Well, I just don't think that's really a fair title. Frankly, I think it should be replaced with talkative Thomas. That's probably not going to catch on, though I like the alliteration better than doubting Thomas. You know, to try to work that in. And the reason I say talkative Thomas is because if you look at all of his interactions with Jesus throughout the Gospel of John, there's so much more than just this one, and there's something deeper here than just doubt. Now, if you go back and look, and actually we had this gospel just a few weeks ago, the raising of Lazarus. When it was time and Jesus said, we're going to go back and raise Lazarus from the dead, the other apostles were like, whoa, they were just trying to kill you right over there. Are you sure you want to go back? And Jesus says, yes, we're going to go raise Lazarus from the dead. And Thomas says, let us also go to die with him pretty strong. It's not just Mr. Doubting, right? And then you move on to chapter 14 of John's gospel at the Last Supper, and it's one of my favorite gospels that we we have almost all the time at funerals, where Jesus is saying at the Last Supper, do not let your hearts be troubled. He's going ahead of us to prepare a mansion for us, And, and he says to them, where I am going, you know the way. And talkative Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I mean, he speaks up. He says something. He asks for that clarification. You know, it's like that that thing in classrooms where it's like, just ask the question. There are no stupid questions. Just stupid people. No, I'm just kidding. So, you know, where, where he says, you know, it's like he says it. He says what's on others' minds. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then we move on to this, the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John. Jesus has been raised from the dead, and of course, you know, the first words on his lips to the apostles behind the locked doors, peace be with you, and him giving them that grace of being able to forgive sins. But of course, Thomas isn't there. 
And the thing is, you know, it's, it's easy to be like, oh, doubting Thomas, you know, away from everybody. Well, maybe he's the brave one. He's not behind locked doors. I mean, he gets to a certain point. Is he basically saying, like, enough of this behind locked door stuff, guys. I'm going to get something to eat. You know, you all stay here, fine. You know, he's away, and obviously not completely cut off, as he still is talking to the apostles, but he demands more. He wasn't there. He's not just sort of okay with, let's say, a spiritual resurrection. Oh, we had a vision of the Lord. No! I want to stick my fingers in the wounds. I want to touch his hands and stick my hand in his side. Otherwise, not going to believe. He sort of asks those questions that, is this just a vision or is this reality? And he gets his answer. As we see in him coming that second time behind the locked doors, and once again, Jesus Thank God he's not one of us, right? I think about myself in Jesus' shoes. After the passion, after everything he went through, he comes back, he says, peace be with you. I would think I would say, where the heck were you guys? But no, he says, peace be with you, and right to answering talkative Thomas's questions. Stick your hand right here. Here are the marks of my love for you. I laid down my life. I did all of this. I completely put it all out there and died for you on the cross, and it remains right here. You can put your hands right here in my side. And then Thomas gives, gives us that beautiful phrase, my Lord and my God. He knows that this is reality. He knows that this is something so true. He asks the question, yes, and then gives us this beautiful expression of faith that we're all called to live out as well. To say to our Lord, my Lord and my God, I do trust in you. And we see what happens with the apostles, right? That at this point, you know, they're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. They're going to go out and preach, as we heard about in the Acts of the Apostles. And this is the beautiful thing about our Lord. He goes first. He shows us what happens when we do what he says, right? He tells us, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. But he's not a God who just like sends down orders and stays distant. No, he did it for us first. I mean, we've just been reflecting all through Lent, throughout the Triduum, the, through Holy Week, what he went through. The stations of the cross, the fact that he bore his cross, that he still has the wounds on his body, and what happens when we do that too. When we stay close to him, the resurrection, it follows. His love is that strong as long as we stay close to him. He goes first and shows us where to follow. One of the best analogies I can come up with, I've been thinking about this last couple of days, is think about when you're learning how to swim, right? Mom or dad jumps into the pool and then lifts out their hands and says, come to me, jump to me, buddy, jump in. And of course, the kid on the side of the pool has plenty of different things to make him scared, right? There's a lot of unknowns in the water. How deep is it? Am I actually going to float? Are you really going to catch me? What's the temperature of the water? Is it clean? You know, all these sort of things that are going on right there. But there's the mom or dad holding out the hands. Trust me, buddy, jump in. Now, the kid can stand on the side and have all sorts of questions and go back and forth. But that parent is showing, I'm willing to do this first. Look, I dove in. Yes, I'm wet. I'm here. I put myself in danger. I'm lifting my hands out to you. Christ does that for us too. He went first. He laid down his life. He died on the cross. And what happened? 
He rose from the dead. He gives us true and lasting peace. He bears the marks on himself that this was all reality and shows what is the strongest point. And then says, look, if you're going to come to this peace, you've got to bear your cross as well. But he's not just picking us up and throwing us in. No, he went first. And he's calling for our trust, calling for us like the disciples, telling us, peace be with you, and then sending us out to imitate him and to know what the final destination is. And I'll tell you, it's a beautiful tradition now in the church, relatively new. We have this great devotion to divine mercy. It only started less than 20 years ago that the whole church gets to pray this novena and stay close to our Lord. And it comes from this divine mercy novena, from apparitions to a sister, Sister Faustina Kowalska, who's now Saint Faustina, a Polish nun in the late 20s and 30s. Jesus appeared to her and asked her to spread devotion to his divine mercy and asked her to paint an image of him, one that in fact you can see in two places in our church right now, one over by St. Joseph on the wall, and one that's kind of giant in the back by the confessional, that image of the resurrected Christ, and asked for the words at the bottom to be written, Jesus, I trust in you. And over the last nine days, since Good Friday, there's a different intention for different groups of people each day to be praying for them, to trust in our Lord. It starts out for basically all of humanity and all of sinners, then for priests and religious, thanks for the prayers, then all those people who really, you know, hold up that mercy, for those who don't believe in God, those who are separated from the church. But I'll tell you the kicker is the last day of the novena, which was yesterday. And then today is Divine Mercy Sunday. We get to pray the chaplet at three. It's wonderful. But that last day of preparation, that last day of the novena, is for the lukewarm. And that's the scariest thing that I think we have the possibility of falling into. Think about, once again, the analogy of the pool, okay? You got the kid on the side of the pool talking to the parent, right? Like kind of debating, do I trust? Do I jump in? At least he's in conversation with mom or dad in the pool. The danger is we have the option to be lukewarm, to just stay on, you know, the seat in the background and never even come close to jumping in, of not even trusting, not even caring. I think one of the scariest words that's so easily used these days, or at least the thought process is, whatever. You know, not knowing what we're called to, not knowing the great trust and mercy that's possible, our Lord wants us to be in communication with him. And that's why it's so good that we have talkative Thomas today. Yes, he's not like right away to the apostles, wow, this is great news, I totally believe in you. Okay, yeah, fine. He's set up as an example. He is Saint Thomas. We need to be in communication with Christ, even when our crosses are heavy, even when we're called to so much, we think, Lord, I can't do this. Still, he's there calling out to us, trust me, asking us to pray, Jesus, I trust in you, asking us to take that leap of knowing that, yes, we have to bear our crosses, but what follows the resurrection? Our Lord has shown what happens when we trust in him, when we love him. Is it easy? No. And he shows that by the very wounds in his body. But it beats the heck out of the alternative. Don't just stay away on the pool chairs. Don't just say whatever. 
stand on the edge, jump in, be like the apostles, and tell him with all of your heart, with all that you do and say, Jesus, I trust in you. He's there waiting for us. He shows us completely that he loves us, gives us his body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, remains in our presence, and just asks us, in the midst of our discipleship, in the midst of following him, in the midst of bearing our crosses, just each day, to know where we're going and to trust in him every step of the way. Praise be Jesus Christ.